forward. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Aztecs podcast. My name is Andrew Medina, my co-host. Please introduce yourself. My name is Alejandro Lozano. Welcome, Alejandro. How are you doing, buddy? How are you feeling? Doing well. How about you? <laughs> uh, doing good, doing good. Super excited to get uh, things off on the podcast. To give everyone a brief rundown on what we're going to talk about on our podcast, uh, Alejandro and I are both uh, Mexican-Americans. Uh, I am based in Los Angeles. He is based in Houston. Naturally, we're going to be covering a lot of MLS, a lot of U.S. men's national team, L3. We're going to dabble a little bit on the big stories that are happening in the European side of things. And then we're going to touch on some of the cultural side of things, uh, new kit releases, um, rebrands that we're going to talk about today for sure. Um, I know one of them is near and dear to Alejandro's heart. But first and foremost, we want to introduce ourselves. Alejandro, give me a brief background on where you're from, how you came to soccer uh, as a passion, why you want to be on the podcast, <laughs> why you want to host a soccer podcast, and then tell me about some of the teams that you support, national teams you support, and why. Gotcha. So like you just said, I'm from Houston. Uh, I was born and raised here. It's, uh, it's a place that I love, but I think what makes me unique in terms of being a soccer fan is growing up, uh, it wasn't part of it wasn't a part of my life. Uh, growing up, I only watched the Astros, the Rockets, and the Texans. Dynamo didn't get here until 2006. And even then, I still wasn't that interested. It wasn't like it was something that, that grabbed at me. Uh, it wasn't until 2010. Uh, there was a goal in South Africa that I think a lot of us can remember. But I got to skip school that day. And so I spent it watching the Amer United States play Algeria and you know, I remember not knowing anything about it. I, you know, my brother and I were referring to the players via their number, you know, number eight's got the ball, number 10's got the ball. And then landed on him and scores. And I mean, it just, it flipped a switch. You know, I remember running around my house screaming all of a sudden, boom, you know, I was in love. It was everything that I wanted, you know, all of a sudden now, you know, my brother and I are begging to play soccer. We're running around the backyard any chance we get because it, it just, it, it flipped a switch. It became, it became our, our biggest passion. And you know, now uh, I follow Dynamo like a religion. The Dash are here as well, and they're, they've been great. I've loved to see their go from, you know, struggling to champions this past year has been fantastic. I'm a big Man United fan, and, uh, you know, for national teams, obviously I have to support, you know, the United States, but I'm also a, an avid Mexico fan. I love watching them succeed. And then, you know, lastly, I'm a big Aggie soccer fan. Those girls in College Station can play, and I wish they got more attention from it. But, you know, uh, you know, soccer was able to be such a big thing for me. And I, I started be, I started as a sports writer. I covered Aggie soccer for the battalion and for the Eagle. And then I got the opportunity to work at the, at 12 man productions, which is the most amazing place that I, I've gotten to be a part of. And, you know, I went from not being able to do anything. I, I had no experience with camera or editing or anything like that to becoming the, the lead soccer editor for a championship program in the midst of a pandemic, we're going to win the SEC. And it was just, it was amazing. And I, I, I can, I couldn't be happier to be here and to kind of, you know, share my thoughts on it because it was so cool to be able to, to talk to coach G and coach Phil about what they think about the game. And it, it's just great. I can't wait to share. Awesome, man. That's really cool. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about two, there's two things I have, I'm curious about. First and foremost, you talked about, you're, you're Mexican-American, right? I am, And yes. so am I. And 
supporting the the U.S. men's national team is <laughs> not only that name of the podcast now that we decided on officially. It can be uh, there can be st- it can be a bit rough. I I, I want to say uh, definitely going to draw a bit of uh, a bit of negativity from that from from uh, diehard L3 supporters. But can you talk about why you chose the U.S. men's national team over the Mexican national team? And have you ever kind of run into any issues with uh, Mexican national team fans or maybe some family or something like that? Well, yeah, I mean, I went to public high school in Houston, Texas, so I ran into several issues supporting the U.S. <laughs> national team. But uh, I think, uh, you know, it's just something, uh, you know, when you watched, when we watched the Olympics, it was always kind of like, you know, we're rooting for both countries, but, you know, we were more, we're more exposed to the American athletes and the American story. So I think that was an easy way to gravitate because obviously, you know, both clubs are, or both countries are in the World Cup, but in terms of like, you know, watching ESPN coverage, you're always getting the American story. So that kind of played an influence. So I'm, I've been rooting for, you know, Team USA the entire time I've been growing up, you know, at the Olympics. So why, it, I didn't see why it would be different going into the World Cup. And then of course, Landon scores. And I mean, that just seals it. Like there's, there's no way I'm leaving now. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but like you said, you know, yeah. growing up in a Hispanic community and you're, you know, you're the one rooting for Dos Acero as opposed to the other way around, <laughs> it gets, a, it gets a little difficult. And it also, you don't get a lot of, uh, you don't get a lot of bragging rights, especially in those early years. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not the easiest. Um, and then how did you, why were you drawn to Man United? Uh, how did that come about? Well, um, the first, you know, like I said, 2010 starts this whole thing. So I was shocked when uh, the MLS All-Star game comes to Houston. And now, you know, I, at this point, I'm, I'm pretty, I, you know, I've been following the, the Dynamo up to this point. So I'm just excited to go see Brian Ching and Brad Davis and, you know, Dwayne DeRosario. I'm just excited to go see them. And we go, uh, we get tickets to the game. Chicharito makes his debut. That was incredible to see. There were so many fans there for him. So Alex Ferguson, he brings, you know, Ryan Giggs, Edwin Venisar, you know, all the, Paul Scholes was there. And it just, I, I was just so like, you know, Makeda ends up scoring a hat trick, which of course, but that was such a cool like, experience. Like that was so cool to see, you know, Alex Ferguson, you know, the buildup to the game was about how, you know, massive of a club this is. And to come from it from a, from a point of view of, you know, I'm just excited to see the all-stars. I want to see Landon Donovan run around. I want to see, you know, Ryan Ching and, you know, <laughs> Brad Davis, but to see, you know, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, and to, you know, realize too, because when we go to the game, everybody's a Man United fan, you know, there wasn't, you know, not a lot of people were rooting for the all-stars at that point. So <laughs> it was, it was surreal to see, um, you know, surreal to see that, to see the, how big the club was and to be a part of it. And it also helped that my, my twin brother is, he fell in love with Man City. So yeah, I'm just going to sit here and bug him at any chance I get. So I love that. So you have that rivalry that even, that makes it the, the, the love even stronger, right? I love that. Cool. Cool. Uh, now I'll give a bit of background on myself and kind of my plight into soccer, into soccer media and why I, I love, uh, you know, I have a, a strong passion for soccer. I grew up in uh, Southern California. I started playing soccer from the age of five, started playing club, which is like a higher level, more competitive level up, up until I was about 18. Um, really didn't start falling in love with soccer until uh, like, as far as like what was 
what I was able to see on TV because MLS didn't come around until 96. Um, so for years that we didn't have a league while I was growing up. So the only soccer I could watch is if I stayed home from school or if I was sick or something and I caught a Champions League game. Um, and I, my first, uh, uh, you know, my first initial love with soccer was with, with Real Madrid. Um, I saw a Madrid uh, Barcelona game and it was Roberto Carlos. Um, that era, Raul, uh, uh, Hierro, Guti, um, really iconic, incredible players. And I remember seeing them play and just thinking, especially Roberto Carlos, he's the one that like kind of took it over the edge for me. And I just remember thinking like, how are these players able to do these things? How can he like, how is he physically able to do these things? It was, they were like superheroes. It just seemed like impossible, but obviously I fell in love with it. MLS came to town in 96. Uh, we went to a bunch of Galaxy games. It just never clicked for me. I never fell in love with it. Not only like the, the level of soccer wasn't the best, but to me, it was just kind of like, there wasn't really a culture around it yet. One thing I loved about watching European games was the fans and you fall in love with the chance and, and there's, a, there's an ambiance and there's a culture that surrounds it that is sometimes more intriguing than what's on the pitch. But uh, in MLS, they didn't have that yet. It was still very like, weird they were doing those weird penalty kicks where they run up and like, <laughs> hey i love like, those <laughs> you know what loki i feel like they should bring those back but it was just weird stuff they were trying to super americanize a sport that isn't really american and 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 for some and i'm not saying to not you know americanizing things is is bad but in in the sense of soccer like going over going overboard with things like like we can't have draws and things like that it was yeah it was just a bit weird to me you know so didn't fall in love with MLS uh, off the jump. I, I followed uh, Real Madrid throughout my life, basically. I went to Madrid several times. I've been several times to watch games. Uh, obviously, when they were they would come to town, I would see them practice at UCLA, or um, I would see them when they played like games against the Galaxy, or I've, I've gone to Chicago to see them play against uh, the, the MLS All-Stars. Um, but so followed Madrid throughout my life. And then LAFC came around, and with LAFC, uh, I was already at that point kind of working in soccer media for a company called Kicks to the Pitch. Uh, we were shooting documentaries. I was hosting podcasts, writing. But it was more like uh, uh, culture-based uh, culture stuff, like talking about kids, talking about uh, collaborations, uh, do, going and shooting um, documentaries based on like fandom and supporter groups and things like that. So I was initially like very skeptical for sure with LAFC. I saw the... I saw the ownership and I was like, okay, this is, this is a little different. And I saw the logo and then I saw the way they reached out to fans. Initially, what they were doing is they were building a supporter culture prior to anything and literally going out into the streets, going out into bars, going out into restaurants and having viewing parties, like viewing parties like Real Madrid, Barcelona viewing parties because LAFC didn't exist at this point. So what they were doing is they were making a really strong concerted effort to build a community prior to anything. And that really started to, I was like, okay, this is, this is something, this is something different. And then I went to my first game and I walked down Christmas tree lane and Christmas tree lane, for those that don't know, is the tailgate area outside of LAFC stadium. Um, they have basically a lane of where everyone tailgates um, and LA being in LA, LA being LA, there was a, a band like a banda, like they're, you know, Mexican banda. There was, everyone's making, you know, micheladas, carne asada. Then you have like Korean homies with Korean food. Uh, you know, you have our German homies with German food and everyone's cooking and partying. And it's, I was like, okay, this is, this is what, like, this is LA. This is what I'm used to. This is, and then I see like 
my friends from media. I see my my family that I grew up with. I see again my Korean homies, my my German homies, like all my friends that are like you know. Obviously, LA is a big cultural melting pot, so I see everyone that's being represented on all levels of our city, and that's like that's a reflection of our city. That's what we are. Mm. So obviously that was a, a turning point and then of course this the way the stadium is built and the way everything is looks in that first game we end up beating seattle like on the last minute uh free kick uh lauren simon you know like one of the most historic iconic goals ever literally the last kick of the game uh, and we win it and everyone goes ballistic uh and then i saw the power of the supporters for the first time and it was just like all right this is it this is it as it as it kind of evolved I saw, I went to an away game with them. We traveled with 1,200 supporters in Portland. Um, and then I saw what they did in Seattle. When they go to San Jose, that was, you know, there's those, you know, viral videos of, of LAFC supporters making the, the stands shake. And, you know, the earthquakes are just looking around like, what's going on? Like, they don't, they've never seen anything like that. And I think there's a, there's a, a sense of, in general, that like, uh, in Los Angeles, there's kind of like this fair weather fan type of thing. Yeah isn't true if you're from Los Angeles, if you understand that, like if you follow the, the Dodgers, it's just a lot of people are outpriced of, of being able to go to games in certain situations, especially for like the Lakers. But if you go to a Dodger game, you understand, you're like, whoa, what is this? It's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different type of fandom. If you go to a Rams game now, um, I'm obviously at an LAFC game. You understand that there's a whole different sort of situation going on that I think people were overlooking for some reason. And I didn't, I never understood it, but um so you see the the level of fandom that's here, and it's it comes from like when we have to watch games. If we're gonna watch an EPL game, we're waking up at four in the morning, going to a bar, and yeah. like watching a game. And people are doing that religiously here. Like it's completely normal to do that. Um, so I kind of fell in love with that aspect. I thought uh, LAFC reflected uh, the club and our you know was a, a direct reflection of our city, of the diversity of our city, of the power of our city. And then when we traveled and we were an example. Um, I thought that was cool. So I just fell in love with LAFC, basically. That's how, that's how I came to love LAFC. Um, and then as far as my plight, I actually, it was pretty cool. I, I started working with a, a company I, call, I mentioned called Kicks to the Pitch. Um, I started writing for them initially. Um, eventually my, my role grew to do, as any startup, you kind of start dabbling in other things. So as a writer, I started as a writer, became like an on-camera on personality, did podcasts, and then kind of created and ideated a lot of the background stuff, like script writing, um, all kinds of things. Just basically anything you can do in media, even like editing photos and taking photos and stuff like that. And it was really incredible because it took me to a place where we were working with brands. I was flying to Madrid, flying to London, flying to Manchester, going to France, doing all these things where we were covering events, covering the new Messi boot launch or working with uh, Puma to shoot a documentary in Guadalajara or something like that. Uh, there's just all kinds of things that I learned and I sort of got uh, my feet wet in like very, in a very like non-linear path and in a path that maybe isn't normal because I didn't go to college. So I was able to do all these things and got to these, got to these heights and, and learned a lot. Eventually, you know, kind of to tie everything around, I ended up getting a job at LAFC and I was working with LAFC um, last year, was laid off in July, unfortunately, due to, due to the pandemic. But that's kind of how everything shifted. Then this opportunity kind of came onto my lap. I'm still writing on the side, doing other things, uh, freelancing. But this fell into my lap and I was just like, yes, let's start talking about soccer. More importantly, let's talk about North American soccer, North American culture, supporter culture, I think is something that 
uh, I would love to shed more of a light on. And so that's why we are here, my friend. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, any questions before we get going? Yeah, I think we can just hop right in. Awesome. So to kick things off, we'll give a brief sort of um, synopsis of what we're going to talk about. First and foremost, MLS news is a lot of crazy trades, a lot of coaches uh, making moves, which I think are probably the most interesting things happening in MLS. Um, there's a very interesting and uh, kind of controversial rebrand. And I think MLS rebrands as a whole are, are, are controversial at the moment. <laughs> so I, and I also want to get your uh, two cents and your kind of expertise, especially because Dynamo was one of the one and probably one of the more quiet ones that made the rebrand. And it wasn't as big of a deal as like Montreal or certainly not as big as Chicago, but we'll talk about that. We're going to touch on a couple of big European things that happened. Uh, Messi red card is a big one. And then American, uh, Americans abroad, uh, Matthew Hop. I hope, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Hoppy. He's killing it. Yeah, he's killing it over at Schalke. Um, Weston McKinney becoming the first American to lift the Italian Super Cup, which is incredible. Uh, but first and foremost, MLS news. Uh, let's start off with a player, Jordan Morris. This is a guy that has been tormenting LAFC for years. Um, I, 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 you know what's weird about Jordan Morris for me? I, I, I've seen him play live several times. And he's one of those guys, you look, you kind of see him, and you're like, he doesn't do anything super super out of the ordinary but then you watch his like off the ball runs you watch when he gets the ball how direct and powerful he is on the ball and how difficult he can be to get you know move off the ball and then you understand if he just gets that little bit of space you're pretty much done mm -hmm. um and it's those those types of strikers that have that little just the, the, it's not anything that you see like from the beginning it's those subtleties that you see that make him a great striker um it's weird to me that he's moving to Swansea. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? So, uh, you know, it's, I think this move checks all the boxes for Swansea, right? The new American ownership group sees, you know, all the Americans abroad doing so well and getting so much coverage. And Jordan Morris is a good player. That checks all the boxes for Swansea City. That makes perfect sense. I think it makes sense for Jordan Morris because it's only a loan. So he gets the opportunity to kind of prove himself abroad and can almost you know, make a, a better move for him in the future, which I think is important. But, you know, when you look at the championship, the going through the list of other Americans that are there, the most notable one is Jeff Cameron, who hasn't made an appearance for the national team since, you know, 2018, 2017. So when you look at the level of competition that currently is in the United States men's national team camp, especially in the forward position. Good. Cool. Um, so we, we can go back. Uh, we had a good flow. I'm, I'm excited with this. Um, we, I'll kind of go back and, and restart up the J Jordan Morris conversation. Is gotcha. that cool? And then we'll go from there. I just Sh shouldn't be too. Cause you think yeah, it recorded the intro? Oh, from like the, what we did earlier? Yeah. Can you, is there a way for you to check? Can you see, cause there's like two options I think on zoom where you can record to like the cloud or you can record to, um, or you can record directly onto your laptop. So if it recorded directly onto the laptop, then uh, you should be able to see that it's like an MP. It should be an MP4. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what you what you how you record it or no? Yeah, I, I recorded it right to my laptop. I just I don't see right now a folder. Okay. 
then we might have to run that back. It's not, uh, it's not a problem. Let me know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think we're going to have to run it back. Okay, all good. Do you know how many minutes we were in? Probably like, what, like 10, 15 minutes maybe? Yeah, that was unfortunate. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it happens, man. I've had, dude, I, we had to do like a, a voiceover one time that took hours. It was the worst. Um, yeah, this isn't too bad. We'll be all right. Cool. All right, we're recording? Yep. Okay, cool. All right, everyone, welcome to the American Aztecs podcast. My name is Andrew Medina, my co-host. Please introduce yourself. My name is Alejandro Lozano. Welcome, Alejandro. How are you doing today, bud? Doing great. Can't wait to talk about soccer. Amen. All right, to give you guys a brief synopsis, a brief overview of what we're going to talk about on our podcast, Alejandro and I are both uh, Mexican-Americans. I'm living in Los Angeles. He's living in Houston. We have a unique perspective on what it is to be a U.S. men's national national team supporter. Also show some love to El Tree. So obviously we're going to cover those two national teams. And then we want to touch heavily on MLS. He's a Houston Dynamo supporter. I'm an LAFC supporter. Um, but we both have a lot of interest in the league uh, in general. So we're going to be talking. That's going to be the main focus of our show. Of course, we're going to touch on some of the bigger stories, some of the bigger points that happen across Europe. And then we're going to dabble on the cultural side of things, whether it be a new kit collaboration, a new boot drop, um, or even like the new rebranding that's happened with uh, some of the MLS teams uh, that are a bit controversial, we'll say, uh, you know, to say the least. Um, but for now, let's, we're going to introduce ourselves. I'm going to give it over to you, Alejandro. Please tell me about your upbringing, where you're from, how you uh, came to soccer as uh, one of your passions. And then please give me some of the uh, teams you support, national teams, um, club club teams in Europe. And then, of course, uh, you know, you obviously mentioned the Dynamo. Tell me about that, please. Gotcha. We'll do. So, like I said, I'm from Houston. Uh, I played. I really didn't start falling in love with soccer until 2010. So growing up, it was just Astros, Rockets, Texans in, in the Lozano household over here. So it never really never really crossed our mind it wasn't it wasn't like everybody was anti-soccer just wasn't something that was that was available Dynamo didn't get here until 2006 and even then it's kind of a maze to figure out how to support them so it just you know I was a young kid didn't really matter to me uh one day I got to skip school and stay home and watch the 2010 World Cup and luckily for me we were playing Algeria (laughs) and Landon Donovan scores in the last one of the game and just completely flips the switch. I mean, it was night and day. All of a sudden, I'm completely in love with the game. I'm doing anything I can to get out. I've never even seen a soccer ball, but my brother and I are hell-bent on making our high school team. You know, we've never even seen <laughs> a kick of the ball, but we were just, it became such a passion and such a such an organic love that, you know, we just, we nurtured and we really wanted to play. Uh, we ended up playing all four years, probably because of our grades, how good they were, not necessarily our skills. Yeah, that's fine. You need a couple <laughs> nerds on the team. You got to boost that GPA. Um, I ended up going to Texas A&M University where I cover 
Texas A&M soccer for the battalion and for the Eagle. And then I move on to uh, 12 man productions where I get to become the head soccer editor. And I just, I fell in love with it. It was so much fun, but you know, as soon as 2010 hits, that's when now I'm watching the dynamo religiously whenever I can now, you know, now I'm watching Man United because they're the biggest club in the world. They're on NBC SN sometimes. So now I get to see them on a random Saturday. They come to town to play the MLS All-Stars and my brother and I are so excited to see, you know, the MLS All-Stars, Landon Donovan, Brian Ching, Juan Pablo Angel, Brad Davis. We're excited to see these players, you know, and everybody else in the world who's coming to this game is excited to see Ryan Giggs, Edwin Van Nassar, Sir Alex, and Paul Scholes. <laughs> and, you know, we, yeah. we didn't know. So it was just, it was such a cool thing to experience because the Man United supporters are such a faithful one, especially that at that point, right? They're the biggest, they're one yeah. of the biggest clubs in the world with Sir Alex Ferguson. So to get to experience that sort of fandom and especially with Javier Hernandez coming, this is his debut game. He's going to come in and score a mm-hmm. goal and just going to make the place go nuts. Everybody is rooting for that goal to go in. And it's such a cool, cool experience that made me fall in love with, with the club for Man United. Dash come rolling into town and I can't be happier watching their progression. James Clarkson has done an amazing job. Rachel Daly has been one of the best players in the league. It's so fun to see all of these teams. But, you know, going back to the national teams, Landon Donovan flips a switch. So I don't have a choice. I have to support the the men's national <laughs> team now for, for yeah, forever. Yeah, you celebrated. You had that moment, right? You're not going to you're not gonna let that go, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially now. Cool. Now we're, we're flying high. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was a bit of a dark period for a little bit. It certainly um, was. It was. <laughs> after the World Cup tobacco, but uh, things seem to be going in the right direction, which is good. Uh, question for you. you we're, we're both Mexican-Americans, and something that's always uh, a thing that's, that I've had to uh, deal with and something that's always been unique and interesting to me is uh, I support the U.S. men's national team, so do you. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about uh, maybe some issues or <laughs> if there's ever been a time where you know, you kind of had to deal with certain, uh, maybe some some banter or something from fans of L3 growing up. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm genuinely curious. If there are any Latino fans who don't have to deal with this, please let me know because you are one in a million. <laughs> growing up, you know, in the public <laughs> high school in Houston on, you know, going on the soccer team, already not being that good and then being one of the only few people who go for the national team, that was never a good, that was never a good yeah. mix. <laughs> walking in the next day after a gold cup or a world cup qualifier. And I was like, <laughs> all right, you know, 7am to two o'clock, I'm going to have to hear it. Then we're going to get to practice and I'm going to hear it some more. <laughs> so especially because yep. at that point, US men's national team, take a dive L3 start getting better. And it's just the way it goes. And what a poor time to be a, to be a high school kid and a US men's national team. Support. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, also, you kind of gave the story on Man United. There was a story earlier you talked about, um, you know, it was it was sort of that, uh, I think it was the All-Star game, yeah, that where you kind of started to fall in love with Man United. You started to follow them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Then you mentioned your brother. I think he follows Man City. Is that it? My uh, brother. How, how did that happen? Or, or why did that happen? Can, can you touch on that? So 2010 comes around. We're both very new to soccer. We don't really know what's happening. We're only really focused on the Dynamo. Uh, we go to a couple of games in Robertson and then, you know, we see that there are all these other clubs, you know, being represented, you know, at the game, people just wear whatever to these things, you know? So, you know, we start to realize Premier League is where 
you know, everybody's attention are. So we start watching Premier League games. We have access to it. And freaking Aguero, man, <laughs> freaking Aguero hits that goal. Yeah. And, and boom, you have this lifelong city supporter now. And, uh, <laughs> and I just, awesome. <laughs> you know, unfortunately for me, I had, after watching Van Sar and uh, Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes of the game, I, you know, I, I felt I want to follow Chicharito. I want to follow Paul Scholes. I want to follow these guys, you know, through, I want to see where they go. And so, you know, that was kind of how we, we kind of jumped on and, you know, my brother didn't really jump on the bandwagon. He didn't really see the appeal to it. He wanted to see what else was out there. And luckily for him, he just happened to find the stupid blue team. And, <laughs> and uh, it's, cool. uh, it's, un- it's been great. So, so it wasn't, I loved it. Wasn't it. Like out of, it wasn't out of spite to you then. It wasn't out of like, my brother likes Man United, so I, you know, I'm not gonna. Mess I think with it was that. a little. Like, I think it was a little. Both, okay, okay. <laughs> I think it goes a little both ways, right? I well, all right. Well, if you're gonna go for a city, then I'm gonna go for United, and uh, that's just yeah. made it for such a great, great viewing. Every derby, you know, my parents just uh, they go upstairs. They don't want anything to deal with us downstairs. Can... Just, <laughs> it's just they said it's it's either constant. It's either dead silence or screaming at both decimals on two different emotions. And it's just, uh, it's been <laughs> such a cool thing to experience too, because uh, my brother sent in uh, the Man City asked uh, somebody to, or they asked their fans to share their derby experience. And my brother sent in a story or a piece about how he and I watch it and how often it gets <laughs> derailed and how, but we, you know, we still keep it civil. We just enjoy each other's, you know, reactions, but they end up sending him, uh, they end up using the piece. I don't know what they used it in, but they end up sending him a Raheem Sterling program. So may not get, oh, on awesome. your, <laughs> get on your stuff, man. What, you, you got him making, making out like a bandit and I got here nothing. I just got us losing yeah, yeah. constantly. <laughs> he's no, out there gotta, winning Premier League titles. He's got Pep Guardiola. Now he's got, you know, <laughs> ridiculous. But that was a, that was an amazing thing too when the, derby in the icc gets postponed from singapore or they gets you know they just cancel it now they're looking for a new spot where are they going to go i remember the mm-hmm. the the rumors are flying my brother and i are constantly looking because we're like you know would we be able to swing it if it's in la can we swing it in new york can we swing it in these mm-hmm. different places and they get down to the couple finalists you know and they're like houston is getting thrown around oh my brother and i are just <coughs> playing how amazing would that be to have the derby in our backyard and then they come to Houston. We got to go. You know, my brother is like, we got to go. You know, I see all these city fans standing outside the hotel. They, they're meeting players. Let's go. I don't want to go, you know, <laughs> I don't go. but you know, it's, it's for my little brother. Of course I'm going to go. So I, we go there the first day, Vincent company comes out. He sees these two Hispanic kids sat there by themselves. He comes out, smiles all around, immediately grabs the ball, Vincent company. Then Science. he gets Kohler off. The next day, uh, my brother goes in the morning and I go to the United Hotel. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a bunch of people at the United Hotel and nothing's happening. And all of a sudden, I get a call from my brother at the City Hotel in downtown Houston, which is a little sketch. But my brother <laughs> is like, he's just talking a mile a minute. Like he's just screaming. He's talking a mile a minute. And I was like, you're going to have to repeat all of that. I didn't get anything. And he was like, I just met Kevin De Bruyne and Pep Guardiola and they, they signed the ball with Vincent company. And I was like, that's sick, dude. I've sat here on this block and nobody has come out. <laughs> so he's getting all the love. You're not getting anything. He's getting all the love, man. United's just lacking, <laughs> man. 
they're winning Premier League titles, they're winning all this stuff, they're in Champions League consistently, <laughs> and I got here nothing, man. <laughs> we gotta put a we gotta put a little uh, video together. We'll send it out to Man United. Hopefully, they send something back, man. Well, that's a cool story. That's really interesting. I love to hear these stories about. You know, I, I have a lot of friends that are from overseas, and they always are curious about how we come to follow um, their teams and why we choose certain teams and you know our plight because soccer isn't necessarily a american sort of pastime it's not there's not always like a natural path to it right right it's not uh, it's, so it's from, not accessible half the time like yeah it's, it's not a not it's not a super accessible or it, it is definitely a lot more now of course mm-hmm. but kind of like to talk about my story um me growing up i played soccer from the time i was five till i was 18 played club at a fairly high level, um, stopped playing after high school. Uh, I wanted to work right out of high school, so I just started working basically. And I got a little bit burned out. We were pl- traveling and playing so much. It's basically all I did for a long time. And it just kind of got like, a, I got a little tired of it. Um, but as far as like my fandom and how I grew to uh, love and support certain teams, first and foremost, it started with, it actually, when I was thinking about it, it started with the US Men's National Team. I remember being very little. And my dad screaming at the TV. Uh, I think it was the 90, it was actually the 90 World Cup. So I was like six years old and my dad was screaming. And I remember thinking like, what is going on? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My dad would watch the Lakers and go and go crazy. But the, the World Cup was like a different thing. Um, and then in 94, the World Cup came to the States. And I remember, I just remember how I loved sort of the individuality of like the kits and how bright and colorful everyone was and like, you know, I remember, like, of course, the, the iconic U.S. men's national team kits, the Stars and Stripes <laughs> ones. Um, I just thought they were so cool. And I remember, like, uh, of course, I remember the, the Brazilian team and how even, like, their style of play kind of resonated with the style of, like, how loud and bright their colors were on their jerseys and things like that. And, like, the play of, like, Germany, they're more, like, kind of straightforward. And there's no there's not a lot of, like, uh, flash to them. So they wear that white kit. And it kind of resonates. That resonated with me. I started to do that as a kid, mm-hmm. which is a little weird, but uh, kind of funny how I, I started to do that, you know? Um, so fell in love with that. I was actually able to go to a World Cup game. It was the third place game with Bulgaria and Sweden. So got to see like uh, Stoichkov, which is a, he's a Barcelona legend. Uh, got to see him in, in the flesh. Uh, Henrik Larsson, also a uh, legend of like Celtic and, and, you know, Swedish icon. So I got to see him at the World Cup. And that was the first time I got to see there was Swedish fans doing insane chance and I remember being little and witnessing that and getting goosebumps and being like oh my god I've never seen that at a Dodger game or a Laker game or anything obviously <laughs> so there was something there um I started to follow the men's national team for sure but it was difficult because we didn't have a league at the time MLS didn't come around until 96 so I, what I did was I you know I, I watched soccer by staying I would stay home from school or I would, if I was sick or something I would catch a game on ESPN the first one I remember falling in love with was Real Madrid versus Barcelona. I fell in love with Real Madrid. I fell in love with Roberto Carlos in particular. Seeing those guys do sort of superhuman acts, do things that I didn't think were even like, even physics, like when Roberto Carlos would kick the ball, you're like, what? How is that? What is he, how does he do that? What is he doing? Um, so just seeing those, they were just kind of like superheroes to me. They were just on such a different planet with their level of play. I just fell in love with it. Um, so follow them where I could, when I could. We still had like dial-up internet at the time. So it wasn't like I could just go and like look up, you know, YouTube clips. That wasn't a thing. So it was still kind of like slowly following here and there. MLS came in 96. My family and I went to a bunch of Galaxy games. I just never fell in love with what uh, the league was really doing at the time. 
the level of play wasn't the best for sure. And then there was a lot of like weird Americanizing, uh, you know, I think I talked about earlier about the, the uh, MLS penalty kicks that they were doing, <laughs> like, and then, you know, we were talking about it earlier and like, it's kind of cool. Like, I, I kind of like it. I, I don't think it's that bad of an idea, but the issue, it was the bigger issue was like, we can't have ties. The reason Americans don't like soccer is because there's, there's draws in soccer. You can't have that. Uh, so that was kind of weird. A lot of the branding was really over the top, like the names, not a big fan of like <laughs> the galaxy and like the Metro stars and stuff like that. It just wasn't, it was just like, I don't know. It felt like a weird, like, like uh, Americanized, like Nintendo game that, I don't know. It just, the names and the branding wasn't, wasn't on point for me. It didn't really resonate with me. So for years I would like kind of pay attention to MLS, but I didn't follow it. Certainly to me, what the galaxy was doing didn't really click with me. So I paid attention to Real Madrid a lot more at the time. Uh, I was able to go to Madrid several times to watch them play. Uh, when they came abroad, when they came to the States, I would go to every game when there would be an exhibition. I was lucky enough to see Zidane play. When he came down here, I've seen guys like Raul in the flesh, Roberto Carlos in the flesh. So it's, I've been lucky to see really high level um, Real Madrid talent and legends um, up, up close and in person. Um, so basically I didn't start to really go hard with MLS until LAFC came to town. And the reason was LAFC did it the right way. They, prior to them being a club, prior to them uh, being a team, they reached out to supporters groups and created a fan base prior to anything. They held rallies, they held viewing parties in various parts of the city, uh, all over Southern California. And they knew that the path to success initially was going to be to have good fans. Think about how difficult it is as a franchise to, first of all, to come into MLS as a, an expansion team and be do well is almost unheard of. You know, Atlanta did it a few years ago, which was crazy. And LAFC was the sec, kind of the second wave of that. But what LAFC did uh, in a different route was reaching out to the supporters and creating a proper culture prior to anything. So that translated immediately when you go to the stadium. I talk about, I was very cynical with LAFC from, from the beginning. I liked the branding. I liked the ownership they had in place. Some of the ideas I was paying attention, I'm like, okay, I kind of see this, but let's see what happens when we're at the game. Let's see the whole experience. Obviously the stadium was beautiful. I took a tour of the stadium prior to anything. Uh, just a, a beautiful stadium, gorgeous stadium, right? You can see the downtown LA skyline when you're uh, on a certain, from like the press box, you can see it looks beautiful. Some of the like best sunsets in the world for sure. But um, my first initial, like I kind of fell in love moment was when I was walking down Christmas tree lane, which is the tailgate area at LAFC. It's a lane, literally like a, like a, a lane with just grass. And there was just tailgating. There was banda, like Mexican banda, like, a full-blown party happening. Um, there was carnesada, there was uh, pupusas, you know, Salvadoran people. There was uh, Korean homies doing Korean barbecue. Everyone's drinking, everyone's dancing, everyone's having a good time. Then the chants happen and everyone's getting together. This is big crescendo as you kind of get to the game. And this is like what I've experienced in Europe. When I was in Marseille, when I was in Madrid, when I was in Barcelona, this is what happens. It's like a big party. There's a crescendo that builds and then it, it kind of explodes inside of the stadium. So I experienced that for the first time at LAFC and I saw the diversity of the people that were there. Uh, it was an exact reflection of what Los Angeles is. And then more so the passion. I think a lot of times Los Angeles gets put in a negative light in general when it comes to soccer as like we're like a fair weather you know, place. I think a lot of people just get outpriced of certain things, like especially Laker games. But if you go to a Dodger game, 
if you go to an LAFC game, if you go to a Rams game, you understand that there's a whole different level of fandom here. There's a, a, an extreme passion that I think gets overlooked or you don't understand it until you're there and you're like, oh, wait a minute, this is, this is a whole different thing. Uh, and I experienced that when I was at LAFC and that's what kind of hooked me from the jump. Uh, we got into the game. I saw the fans. I saw them with their coordinated chants. Um, you know, no standing room, uh, being loud the entire time. I'm like, this is what I want. Because even if the product isn't good on the pitch, there's an ambiance. It's almost like interactive theater that's happening. And it's that's why people fall in love with European soccer, right? Because there's an or South American soccer, whatever. There's an ambiance there. You, you feel an energy, even if the team sucks. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the team didn't suck. <laughs> Luckily, they were amazing um from the jump and even the cultural diversity that was on the team was on the pitch um you have you know players from ghana from Uruguay, from uh, mexican obviously american there there's a complete like international lineup and then the style of play was just on point from the beginning so it was just that was the cherry on top for me i started to follow more and more pay attention more and more of course uh traveled away to portland on this one trip where we had like 1200 supporters we took <laughs> we took over we took over some of the Portland cities and we shut down some of the, uh, we shut down some of the streets. The police department maybe wasn't the most excited with us at the time, but it was just cool to be a part of that sort of like invasion. Um, and we became notorious for that. Now you see us like when we travel to San Jose, they're rocking the stadium and there's all these viral videos of, of LAFC away support, which MLS has been dying for. It's, it's needed something like this where the world is gonna pay attention because the world isn't necessarily going to pay attention for like Carlos Vela or for or for you know whomever, right? They're going to pay attention for like what else is happening there. And when they see the chance, they see the fans, they see the away support. Okay, there's there's something there. Let me pay attention. And that's why LAFC has garnered. There's like a LAFC uh, hall, uh, Dutch supporters group. There's a there's a guy that wakes up in Australia. He wakes up like. I don't even know what time he wakes up to watch games. He's up at like three in the morning, like crazy person watching games. So it's, and it's all based on this culture. So uh, that's why I fell in love with LAFC. Um, as far as like the media side of things, I started working for a company called Kicks to the Pitch. We were a uh, media um, outlet slash agency that basically blended the worlds of, uh, or cultures of like streetwear, sneaker culture, um, street art, hip hop. We blended that with, um, soccer. We were one of the first to do a PSG uh, collaboration slash pop-up shop in Fairfax in 2016 before the Jordan collab kind of took place. We did that, you know, years ago. Um, so I kind of started as a writer with them, um, just covering a couple little things here and there. Then it, my my role grew. I started doing on-camera work, uh, helping produce certain things, doing their podcast, doing documentaries worked with some of the biggest brands. I worked with Man City for a couple of things. I worked with Real Madrid, which was mind blowing. Uh, worked with a bunch of different players and brands, Puma, Nike, uh, Adidas, and have been able to go all over the world uh, covering soccer in a very unique way. Not covering soccer in like an X's and O's type of way, but covering the culture side of things, which is what I'm in love with, which is um, something that I'm excited to talk about on this. Uh, but it's cool because my work through Kicks of the Fish ended up uh, kind of leading me to getting a role and getting a job at LAFC. So I was hired at LAFC a year ago, almost a year ago. The, it was yeah January 6th last year. Unfortunately, I was laid off in July due to, due to the pandemic, but it was a pretty cool experience to kind of fall in love with the club and then work for them. Um, and then kind of see my last big thing that we did with them was when I traveled to Leon and kind of got to see 
the power that we could have traveling. Now we were traveling to different countries. So really cool to be a part of that. Uh, happy to have all that experience and now happy to bring that to the podcast and talk about, uh, you know, talk about soccer in general. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk MLS. Welcome to Digging Deep, an Ortiz Squared podcast with former Major League All-Star Russ Ortiz and columnist Jesus Ortiz. We'll take you behind the scenes with athletes and sports writers to learn how they approach their jobs and what obstacles they've overcome on their journeys. Uh, Kick things off. Let's get started. I'm going to bring my notes up real quick. So today, to give you a brief overview on what we're going to talk about on the show, obviously, as I mentioned, MLS is going to be at the forefront. There's a lot of movement happening in MLS. A lot of coaches, which is probably the most interesting thing happening right now, a lot of coaches making moves, a lot of new, interesting young coaches coming into the league. Uh, Of course, we're going to talk a couple of European, talk about a couple of big European things that happened. Messi's weird red card, you know, the plight of Barcelona is very interesting at the moment. Uh, And then Americans abroad, Matthew Hopp doing his thing at Schalke. And then Mr. Weston McKinney lifting the Italian Cup, being the first American ever to lift the Italian Cup for Juventus, which is a big deal and super cool. Uh, So first and foremost, let's talk about Jordan Morris. Um, I mentioned this earlier. Jordan Morris is a guy that's tormented LAFC forever. He's just a guy that just, and it's, I, I, I also preface this earlier is that Jordan, when you look at him, you think there's nothing super special or super spectacular about, about him as a player. But when you start to see the subtle nuances of his game, the way he makes his runs, when he gets a little bit of space, his directness, how strong he is on the ball, then you start to see why this guy is such a special player, why he's had longevity in spite of some big injuries that he's had, why he's been, why he's been able to come back why he had, you know, European interest years ago, and then why it's coming back around again. For me, initially, when I saw the links to Swansea, I was like, I don't really get it. But you kind of touched on something that I wasn't super aware of. So can you talk about that, please? Yeah, so I think this transfer checks all the boxes for a lot of people involved. There's only one box that is unchecked. But in terms of why this is going to be successful, the Swansea ownership, the new American ownership, is seeing all the American players blow up and they are seeing the popularity of these clubs rise so they're just trying to hop in on it as well because Jordan Morris is a good player he's a great player and he deserves the European interest that he's getting the reason I think this makes sense for Jordan Morris is because although it's in the championship it's only a loan and by going and being successful hopefully in this loan he can force a move to a bigger club without you know being stuck in Swansea for a few years he's giving himself the best opportunity to go abroad and to play himself into a big club, which I think worked perfectly because Jordan Morris is capable of it. Uh, The biggest downside to this right now is the U S men's national team has so much talent up front right now. He's not, he will struggle to break into that side by he struggle right now in Seattle. I think he has a better chance in the championship, but at the same time, the most notable player in the championship right now is Jeff Cameron. He hasn't appeared for the national team since 2018. So I think while the level of competition is lower, it's a good start. And it's something that he doesn't have to be ultra committed to. He can just, you know, if it doesn't work out, then he can come back to Seattle and continue to grow and, and do be successful. And plus I want to add Steve Cooper, the manager of Swansea is well known youth coach. He coached youth of Liverpool, he coached youth of Wrexham. He's the England youth coach. 
he can get the best out of Jordan Morris. And I'm really excited to see his progression there because he can teach players. This is a, you know, as, as you're talking and you're mentioning things, you know, something I didn't even think about prior to this, but there was a little light bulb that went off and there's some parallels that I think we can look at with Jack Harrison also, right? He's a guy that came up through, uh, actually started like Wake Forest, I believe, in mm-hmm. the American college system, which is pretty wild to think of now. <laughs> but he made his, he definitely made his name and did a lot of good things at NYCFC, um, came up through the ranks and I, you know, came, I think came up through the ranks at the right time and then caught lightning in the bottle when he went, when he went over to Leeds, right? right? Because now he's like top dog at Leeds under Bielsa, which is a dream situation was part of that club that went into promotion. And Swansea's a club that's gone back and forth a couple of times. I don't know mm-hmm. how well they're doing right now. They're in but second they're not right a, now. Certainly not a club. Yeah, so they're not a club that is like out of the question that they're not going to come, they, they, they're not going to get into the prim. Uh, my only concern is that he gets playing time. And to me, I think one thing that the national team is lacking a little bit in terms of we talk about attacking talent is, yeah, it's all over the place and it's great. Mm. Someone as direct and as, as, kind of that classic strong, even the way he holds up is really, is really strong, is really a high level, um, that classic sort of number nine. And I think Jordan has become more and more of that player, especially over the last season. If you watch some of his play, he's just super direct, strong. And, and the men's national team doesn't necessarily have a number nine like that. You can maybe argue that Giassi Zardes is like that, but you know, Giassi Zardes to me is just, is, isn't, isn't uh, on that level that Jordan is, but I, you know, that you, now that you mentioned that, I think it is kind of the right situation for him. I just hope he gets a good amount of playing time. Mm-hmm. And if it is kind of that Jack Harrison situation where they get promoted and they start playing a really beautiful, attractive style, then I think it fits right. Then I think it's a good situation. Right. So hopefully. Yeah. Um, now we're going to kind of del- dive into the more interesting coaching uh, situations that are, that are happening. There's a lot of movement at the moment. Uh, curious to your thoughts on DC United because DC United is like a legacy franchise in MLS. They are uh, one of the most successful franchises in MLS, but over the past five, six years, they really haven't done anything. And it's kind of crazy to me that they're getting a new coach. Uh, his name is, I don't want to mispronounce it, Hernan Lozada. He's an Argentinian guy, very young, 38 years old, has an interesting CV, but kind of to go back to uh, DC real quick. I, I didn't realize Ben Olsen was at the helm for 10 years. It seems like a long time, right? And it's like yeah, a long time I mean, to not do, not be doing anything. Yeah, um, I mean, to put that so, in perspective, half of my life, Ben Olsen has been the head coach of DC United. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, like Ben Olsen is a, is a guy that's been around American soccer forever. He's an ex-US men's national team player, ex-DC United player. Um, so it's, it's a little odd to me that a, a franchise like DC that – was kind of known for for years and, and, and decades as being the cream of the crop in MLS really hasn't done much. And they got the Wayne Rooney signing, really didn't pan out, nothing crazy happened. Um, they were okay, they were up and down, but just again, never did anything, certainly never competitive uh, like on an MLS cup level or anything like that. Right. Um, and now you have this guy, uh, Hernando Sala, which is an interesting signing because when I look across Europe and I see I'm always like, a, like a, when Tuchel came up through the ranks or, or, or people like that where they're super young guys uh, and then they make a splash. I kind of went back and, and looked into this guy's CV 
and he basically got a, a club a beer shot. I, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but so Belgian second division team got them promoted and got tons of sort of recognition. He was the next guy uh, mm. coming up through the Belgian ranks. And then he goes left and makes this signing with DC United. I, I don't think it's a bad signing for DC, but I don't know if it's a good signing for him. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but maybe you have some thoughts as well. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, with DC United, this is low risk, high reward, right? Like you're, you've been struggling these past years, this year, especially, you know, as hard as it was with the pandemic, the, you know, the playoff, uh, like team, the, the playoff roster expanded. There were more teams in the playoffs this year than ever. So being one of the few, very few minority teams to not make it, you're kind of like, okay, something needs to change. Something needs to change up. They gave up 41 goals and only scored 25. They were the second worst team in the East giving up goals. So with Losada, I think he comes in and he's this attacking manager. He needs to get the ball up. And essentially when you have a, a manager who is attack oriented, that's always going to get the fans excited. That's what people want to see. They want to see attacking football. So with Losada coming in, I think it's low risk, high reward. You're getting ready. You know, if he pans out, if he's supposed to be what he's supposed to be, DC United are back on the map. And it's super exciting to see. At the same time, if he doesn't pan out, you haven't really lost anything. You've at least taken a chance that it's you you now have a manager that's not named Ben Olsen and you're getting the similar results. Like, that's <laughs> the worst case scenario. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And, and the, the issue with that, and, and, and when you talk about the attacking style, it's for me, it's a situation of like, if you're Philadelphia, if you're LAFC, if you're Seattle, you have the people in place to facilitate that style. Does DC have the people in place to, to, to facilitate that style and to be that team? I'm not super convinced. Certainly those statistics don't, don't, <laughs> don't uh, lead me in that direction, you know? So um, I like that they're going a bit out of the, you know, they, they want to go out of the box and maybe it's a situation where there's a lot of teams. Dortmund has been classically has, has been uh, a team like this over the past 10 years where they're have very beautiful attacking football, maybe not the best on uh, uh, you know uh, uh, defense, but they're kind of like, we're going to outgun you type of style. And they've been that way. You know, LAFC has been a, a little bit that way also, um, but it's going to be interesting. I don't know if DC has players in place, but still, I think it's a pretty cool signing. I, I think it's uh, out of the box. Uh, so I'm excited to see what, what's going to happen with that. Um, moving along to another signing that's maybe like on the opposite um, side of the spectrum, kind of a safer signing and someone that has a lot of equity and a lot of, um, a lot of experience in MLS. I don't have it on the list, but I'm sure you're going you're gonna to be aware of it is Greg Vandy going to L, uh, the LA Galaxy. Um, obviously an ex-player, the Galaxy has just been a complete uh, just since Zlatan left has just been a mess there this past season was just I mean it's just a nightmare for them it's weird because they had that run of like six games in a row they won or something like that mm. and then it just they just tanked and they just went all over the place no identity horrible defending uh Chicharito has just been like one of the worst signings I think uh for the club just been a, even worse than Gio I would say um they do have the second season coming around, but uh, Greg Vanny seems to be someone that's going to stop the bleeding, someone that understands the league, someone that understands the club more importantly. And I think hopefully for them, it's going to gal galvanize the LA Galaxy a bit. What do you think? Uh, Galaxy uh, know that 
because you finished above me. I'm saying this with all all the all the respect <laughs> and love in the world. But I just Chicharito was a luxury signing that they couldn't afford. Chicharito is a poacher. He needs brilliant service. He he needs it consistently. So when you brought Chicharito in, you had to know that it was gonna it wasn't gonna work out. You don't have somebody that's gonna get him the ball consistently. You don't have a consistent playmaker. So he was kind of just out there, you know, just to take the space, yeah. which, you know, and that's yeah. not a knock on Chicharito or anybody. That's just his style of play. It's on the general manager for bringing him in and saying, I know you don't fit. You're, you're, you know, you're a square, but get into that round peg, make it work. Uh, I, and, you know, a little bias. I think Dominic Kinnear could have had a shout at this head coaching job. I was, I was kind of blown away by that because he was put in place after, uh, after GBS left. And I just thought like, Kinnear has tons of experience. Uh, he has MLS Cup experience. He has titles. He's, you know, he was there probably during the Dynamo's best run, I would say, right? Am I wrong? Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Tons of experience. And I, I thought that they would give him a, a crack at it. But I think they now, like in hindsight, I think they kind of had the Greg Vanny thing on the back burner and it was already kind of solidified or it was already done. Yeah. They were just kind of waiting for the, the season to run out. But I think, I, you know, Kinnear, I thought, I thought was something that, that definitely should have been up to the, the task. Definitely. I'm sure they did their due diligence and, you know, Greg Vanny just comes in and he checks all the boxes. He's somebody who can get them back on track. You know, if that may take, you know, a few years, I don't think they'll be at the place that they need to be. They're the galaxy. They're supposed to be running the league. I don't think they'll be there for a few years, given the the makeup of the team. And, you know, but Greg Vanny puts you back on track. He gets you back to where you headed in the right direction, as opposed to these last couple of years, they just, They've seen rudderless that, you know, Zlatan coming in. Zlatan is Zlatan, and it's amazing, you know, how much, you know, publicity and everything they got. But, I mean, he just didn't really seem like he had to drag that team to be successful. And Zlatan isn't necessarily Absolutely. a drag. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this because you kind of mentioned the Galaxy is supposed to be on this level and that you mentioned they were – you kind of – me being a, a, an LAFC supporter, I have a lot of thoughts, of course. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of, uh, and, and I don't want to come across as biased, but naturally I am, of course. But I'm curious as to someone on the outside looking in and looking at the LA rivalry. How do you think, do you think, do you see LAFC as like a real competitor to uh, the Galaxy in terms of, not necessarily in terms of, like on-field play because that can, that can go back and forth depending on the season. Mm-hmm. But overall, what do you see, you know, LAFC, how they've come into the league? LAFC coming into the league, I thought this is, you know, Lakers, Clippers, they just, you know, LA gets another team because of course they do. They have to have a thousand teams <laughs> that nobody cares about. But, you know, and, and it also comes from a place of like the Galaxy beat the Dynamo two years in a row in the MLS Cup. Perfect. That's great. I love it. Thanks, Galaxy. I, I hate it. <laughs> And so, you know, seeing LAFC come into the league, it was just kind of like, ugh, another one. We have to deal with this again. And we're going to have to deal with, oh, everybody loves this random team that nobody's ever heard of. It's great. So, <laughs> but I didn't think that there was going to be, I thought the Galaxy are the staple of MLS. Landon Donovan, David Beckham, Robbie Keane, all these players, and Slotan now as well. He, they put them on the international, like, stage. You, mm-hmm. you know, whether they deserve to be there, hit or miss, you know, regardless. But they're this... You know, they're the Lakers. Here come the Clippers. I think because of how well LAFC got off on the right foot, brought in players like Carlos Vela, they do, they did everything right. And they got lucky that the Galaxy were just like, 
yeah, we're just going to stop being good. We're going to just try that. And because they, they timed it so well, like here come a real contender in LAFC. They're going to, they're thinking about the MLS cup. They're not even worried about the, you know, the, the Trafico. They don't care. They're, they are focused so much higher. I think that put them in a spot where, you know, I think the Clippers run into the same situation of they're, they're always chasing big brother. LAFC coming to league when they did with the galaxy going down said, Hey, we don't care about him. We're only focused on the big one, which is what you need. And that's what makes, I think the, the traffic a lot more interesting because it's almost kind of like a, we're doing this just to show you how low you are. Like each team, whenever they get the win, they're trying to assert dominance, which is something that I don't think you see in like a Clippers Lakers thing. We already know the Lakers are good. With the LAFC yeah. coming in, American soccer fans are genuinely curious to see which team is going to come out on top because it is currently, mm-hmm. in my mind, a fight to see who's the better team in LA. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, um, you know, you talk about you talk about the 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 timing of it. I think, like I said I, I, from the beginning, I thought LAFC was doing things the right way, and then the timing of it is is interesting. I eventually, I think, and I think it's going to be. The rivalry is going to be incredible once Galaxy comes back to that level of high-level play. Um, and we'll see what it does to galvanize. There's a lot of uh, disenfranchised, grumpy Galaxy supporters out there. <laughs> Just go on Twitter. Have a gander. <laughs> You'll see. And rightfully so. And rightfully so. They're, they're not happy because they, they their front office has made some weird moves. They signed Chicharito. Chicharito would probably be good on LAFC because there's so much playmaking. There's a lot of uh, forward movement and crossing and giving goes and stuff like that. And the galaxy doesn't play like that. It's just not what they do. Um, so kind of to tie it back to, to Vanny, I think Vanny's going to stop the bleeding. I don't know that he's going to play this super attractive, crazy style. I, I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I think he's going to make a competitive team. That's going to be difficult to beat. And I think for the short term, that's what you have to do. You have to get some results. You have to get going in the right direction, make the playoffs, you know, <laughs> Get, get back into what you do well, which the Galaxy is winning. Get, get back to winning and get, get back to doing your thing. And I think, I think Vanny uh, is going to provide that. Uh, now, another coach that is another interesting signing, another interesting move is Mr. Phil Neville, Mr. Man United, right? Another Man United guy uh, coming to Inter-Miami. I'm not super familiar with his CV with the uh, English national team, the women's uh, national team. Do you know anything or do you know a lot about his career over there? Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he he elevated the England women's national team to a very, they were very competitive. They, you know, they were kind of an unknown in terms of women's soccer. And then Phil Neville comes in and he boosts them up a level. I think the this, play, this generation of players is also very good. And it was just a, a perfect match of lifting each other. I thought Phil Neville going into the England job you know, not, not very impressive managerial record, but he, when he comes out of it, that completely sold me. He did such a good job with, with the England national team that I was, uh, I think this move is perfect because obviously they have Beckham and Phil Neville are close. They've known each other forever. But what that's going to do is it's going to give Phil Neville a very long leash. Now he's not going to be sitting on the, David Beckham's not going to be sitting on the panic button. He's going to let Phil Neville create what he wants he's to create and give him the time to do that, which I think is, is perfect when you're trying to build something like this. So I think it, I think this is a great hire because it's Phil Neville. He gets, he it can be a successful manager. I think a lot of people are going to say it's, he's only there because he's Man United. He doesn't really know what he's doing. I don't think that's necessarily fair. 
I do understand why people say that. I don't think that's fair, though. I think he's going to do a good job, but he's also going to be allowed to do a good job. He's going to be given the time to do so, where I don't think some of the other managers would be given that chance. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on the long leash situation. And I think as it pertains to Inter Miami, I think I think uh, Inter Miami was were, were kind of expecting to do a little bit better in their first season. They do have some great players in place. They have a good mix of like young South American talent, young Mexican talent, or more like veteran Mexican talent, and then some good solid MLS uh, veteranship that's there that they kind of have a, a recipe for success. They have the team there. It just, they couldn't get over that hump for whatever reason. Uh, obviously, you know, starting your first season throughout the pandemic is not ideal at all, without a doubt. That probably has a lot to do with it. But um, I think Phil is a guy that has the upper level management or the upper level ownership's trust. Um, and especially because it has, I, I think that relationship with Beckham is kind of the, the, that leash that you're talking about, like mm -hmm. literally, because I think with that vote of confidence, you can kind of go and do your thing and not worry too much. And hopefully what's happened with Inter Miami is they've kind of curbed their, their enthusiasm or <laughs> curbed their, their, their excitement about what they can really do in the league. Because like I said, you see, you've seen what teams like Atlanta have done. You've seen what teams like LAFC have done. You also need to look at what's happened with Cincinnati and what's happened with, I mean, Nashville did okay, but like mm -hmm. there's, there's teams that just haven't been super successful right away. And you need to understand that just because you have a bunch of good South American players doesn't mean you're going to be good. You know, just because you have a, a really exciting coach with a, a cool CV doesn't mean it's going to translate necessarily. So right. I think this is the right move, yeah. That's the one thing I worry about. Tab Ramos discusses how working with the U.S. Uh, men's youth team, he had all the freedom in the world to pick what players he wanted. He got to run everything. How It, it seems like it's a very hard transition to go from national team to a club team. Now you're <laughs> expediting that by jumping to the MLS where the – you know, the national, the national team level is here. The MLS is not even close. So now you are dealing with a lot of aspects, how, you know, the super complicated MLS transfer system for one, like you're, there's a lot of different things that are going to have to go in place, which is why I think you need to give Ben Neville such a, a long leash because it's hard for any manager from any league to step into the MLS because it's such a confusing, different animal, basically. It's such a confusing, yeah. different thing. So I think, I think that's that could be where he struggles if he struggles to transition into this new kind of environment. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, but again, I think a, a great signing. Very interesting. This it's going to be a, a really interesting MLS season in general. Uh, a lot of teams do it, making good moves. I, I can't remember a time when I've seen this many coaches making uh, <laughs> movement in the offseason. You know, normally you're talking about players. But uh, it's actually really cool and exciting to talk about because we have unique, interesting, exciting managers coming into the league. Hopefully new, interesting styles. Uh, hopefully we see, you know, DC United come back to, to glory. Hopefully the Galaxy comes back to glory and they create that like real serious rivalry that we all love in LA. It's already at a high level in general, but we want it to be competitive and we want it to be fun, of course. Um, now kind of changing, changing roles or, or moving in a different direction. There's been a lot of uh, MLS rebranding happening over the past year. It was the big one was the Chicago Fire, which was an absolute nightmare in my opinion. <laughs> it was uh, disastrous. So much so they got so much like terrible backlash that they're actually rebranding again this time. Um, <laughs> I know Chicago is like the Sonic the Hedgehog of MLS clubs. Yeah, right. They're just 
it's it's so it's this is this is what's funny to me and you know the reason we're talking about this is because montreal just rebranded last week and then i want to get your two cents on the on the dynamo rebrand which i'm sure you have a lot to say about that uh so let's to talk about the fire situation and to talk about the situation in general i think mls has with teams like lafc coming into the league them giving so much supporter attention and literally reaching out to supporters to make creative decisions within the club. That happens a lot over there. You're starting to see more and more clubs pay attention to that and, and do things. You know, you saw, you kind of started to see it with Orlando making the no standing uh, or no sitting uh, or standing room only section, making sure they had an ambiance there. Now clubs like even the Galaxy created their own standing room only section. Um, really starting to engage the fans more. Uh, now you talk about a rebrand for a club like uh, for a club like Chicago, another they were the first expansion club in MLS, one of the first expansion clubs, but one with rich history, MLS titles. Um, to me, some of the best branding in all of uh, North America. I loved their branding before. Talk, it was it was like it, it was a direct reflection of the city. You know, the fire logo. It was just such an iconic logo, right? Yeah. And now yeah. you go and you 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 hire an agency to do this logo and then you agree to that logo and the color change and everything. And it's just like, I think on a, on a basic level, you look at that and you're like, God, that's terrible. But what's the deeper issue to me is why are you not engaging your supporters and talking to them about things they want to see? What are the changes they want to make? That's going to be your key to this, to success. Not only are they going to buy your jerseys because they like them and they feel attached to it because they had some actual input, but then they're going to go to the games. They're going to they're want to support the club because they feel a part of the club. The reason people across Europe feel tied to the club, feel a direct connection to their club is because a lot of them, their, 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 their family has been a part of the direction of the club, has been a part of the cultural identity of the club, has been a part of the branding of the club, things like that. So they feel immense like passion because they feel a connection to the club. So when you go and you make a weird move like this <laughs> it's just like what are you what are you, why, why why are you doing this what are you doing you know it was it was a bit weird what were your thoughts on the on the on the fire rebrand before we move on to other ones yeah so i think the uh you know i think the a similarity in most of the club rebrands they come at a at a point where the club is down the the, the level plays down team is struggling we know how to get people in the seats change the thing that I they've that's super interesting. I, I never really thought about that. That's a really good point. I'm looking at all three clubs and it's on a down. Yep. They're all on the, on the decline, right? Yeah. Okay, so cool. with the, I think the MLS logos, you know, all, all clubs at some point will go through a rebrand. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. Like, but when you look at the original logos, the Chicago fire one, the Montreal one and the Dynamo one, they're all very, originally they're all very colorful and they're kind of cartoony in a way they, they scream, to me, they at least they all screamed a little bit of like cartoony '90s, which is fine. Okay. You know, that that is what it is. So when they all move forward, they all collectively were like, "We're going to make this weird minimalism, abstract." You know, the fire is only going to be this different. Like the, the specifically the fire, they're like, "We're going to make this so artistic, people <laughs> love it. It's going to blow their minds. It's going to be amazing." And then 
they're like, look at how minimal it looks. It looks fantastic. Send that. They're all going to love it. So when they got the response, they must have been like, no, no, no. You just don't get it. You got to look at it like from a different angle. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. It's too smart for them. It's too smart for them. Is how I imagine the. the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. That's an interesting uh, perspective. And it's one that I agree with entirely. You know, you look, you look at uh, Europe, you look at Juventus, which was a big rebrand and people hated it. You know, people yeah. hated it initially. And now what's funny about that rebrand was when you look at the badge on a jersey, it looks it looks really good now. It's become, there's a fine line between minimalism and, and doing that. And with Juventus, you know, their their badge wasn't necessarily this like super iconic badge, you could argue, you know, back back and forth. And now it's just, it isn't even a thought really. It just look, to me, it just looks good on their uniform. Mm-hmm. And, and it just, it looks okay. It's, it's not this like crazy weird thing. With the fire, I think they kind of tried to do that, but they, they to me, they failed pretty miserably in, in, in that whole thing. Because I think that's now important to note too, because like, even if the initial reviews are negative, you, at some point, uh, you know, a certain group of people will be like, all right, I think it's fine now. You know, I've grown to love it. With the fire one, it was uniquely just never, never got anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. That's not happening at all. From the jump, from the beginning to the end. Uh, and you know what? It, I think it speaks to the volumes of what Chicago is hopefully doing. Them moving to Soldier Field, them, them going to like proper Chicago and trying to, you know, galvanize their, their group of supporters, which I know they're having a hard time with. Um, I've talked to some of the, the supporter liaisons in Chicago, and I know things are can be a bit difficult, but I think they're making a genuine effort. And now... I don't see the U-turn as a, as a negative thing. Like mm-hmm. them falling back and saying like, look, we got it wrong. Let's get it right. Now let's engage our supporters. Yeah, that's exactly what Sonic the Hedgehog did. And it made uh, <laughs> an amount of money. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, maybe a waste of money, but I think it's the right thing to do for them and for their fan base. If they, they had such a, a golden opportunity, them going back to proper Chicago, them kind of you know, the rebrand people were excited, like, yeah, we're going back to Chicago. We're going to have this cold. And then it was just like this, this huge, like, nosedive. So hopefully they get it right. Uh, the pandemic kind of, I think, chilled out the hatred for the whole situation. And now with things coming back, hopefully they can come back in the right way. Uh, let's move on to Montreal. Um, so in my opinion, I actually liked Montreal's old badge. I thought it was very similar to a lot of you mentioned 90s and it is a little a little 90s but it reminds me of a lot of like old school uh like french or old school like spanish league badges and just very um kind of like classic uh silhouettes and classic branding um i also you know the impact was a name that has a lot of history in montreal that name has existed there for for years um so them switching that up is a bit weird because it kind of go, deviates from their history. And then the rebrand I thought was just horrendous. Also the snowflake, uh, I, I didn't see any sort of correlation to their city or to the, there was no ties to Montreal. None of it was like, oh yeah, that's Montreal. Like that's, I get, you know, with like LAFC, for example, there's a art deco vibe that when you're walking through downtown, you see a lot of art deco styling and it makes sense that branding is just there and aware and present and it makes sense with this it's like a snowflake like really that's where you know where did that come from or what, or what was it what were your thoughts on the whole on the whole rebrand for Montreal 
it feels like these clubs very often just overthink the whole process there you know there's this whole idea of like i almost think it's like all right if we let in another goal however many goals we we give up that's how drastically we have to change how we <laughs> like it's such a strange thing because i would have loved to have seen a modernized you know version of the the current or the past montreal impact that i think yeah, that would have been great and that. instead you just were like Nobody, nobody likes that logo. Henri doesn't like that logo. We got to change it. Like, it seems so bizarre to make this huge leap, especially if within the MLS, because the MLS is such a niche community driven league. Yeah. It almost makes sense. Like you almost need to pay homage to the past because that's, I mean, that's what got you here. Right. Like that's, that's what you absolutely. need. It just, absolutely. I, you know, that like when I was talking about, uh, the name impact and how important that is to a lot of the fans because they had followed them from you know the previous the previous one was a usl or nasl i'm not exactly sure what what league they were playing in but they supported them at, at that point and so you know the impact coming into the league being the impact that's a big deal that's you have that heritage and you should be proud of that heritage heritage in my opinion you know it should be something that that you share like these, uh, the sounders have done that timbers have done that and they're very proud and their branding is just like in your face and they're it's it's brilliant and it's and it's it's paying homage to that like you said paying homage because in many ways it pays homage to the city right you're paying right. homage to something that's been a part of the city for generations and it should be celebrated so the whole weird like it, you know what it kind of reminded me of almost like like star wars uh, branding it looked like a weird like star wars logo or something like that like for the empire you know it just looked it looked very bland and like just it, it didn't have any sort of energy for me it was such a bummer you know i feel like they dropped the ball it's so interesting i keep thinking about like you mentioned the down the kind of uh, clubs being down and having to rebound like look we're this new exciting thing but then dropping the ball so it's just kind of like it just goes yeah, down you, even further at this point right like, you have made things exponentially worse even though none of us thought that was possible <laughs> yeah, yeah. now another team that went through rebrand something that i'm sure you're gonna have a lot to say about is and it was almost like very quiet the way the dynamo did their rebrand um and it, i found it a little bit interesting probably because so much was going on in the world people didn't have a ton of time to pay attention to it um but what were your thoughts on the on the dynamo rebrand what do you think so uh, i'm glad we we i'm gonna say this on the houston part the biggest you know advantage that mls clubs have is that they are within grass they are in your city so i think when you brand something like that you need to harp on that yeah man united is over there but this is your club this is your city how can we show that the dynamo chose to make it where it's just going to be the notre dame logo with san francisco giants colors and <laughs> i just i don't understand the dash logo the dash logo is next to it it's the one with the the H's that looks fantastic. It looks a little like That's the James. Harden. So much better. Yeah. It looks fantastic. It looks a little like you know the James Harden logo, but that looks pretty sick. I love it. This one just looks like Notre Dame. Like we just we made an H, <laughs> or an N out of the H. It doesn't make any sense. And I just at at this point too, where the club is just we are we're in dead last. I mean, we didn't even we didn't beat anybody this year. That's sick, man. Like now <laughs> now is the time to change the logo and then. The, the way the marketing team decided to go about it is, you know, we worked two years on this, two years of hard work. We're not going to add a shield or anything to it. It's just this. 
love it. And I just, it, it was so bewildering to, to see it because it was, they made such a big effort of like, it took us two years. Now we're representing your team. And the Houston Dynamo, if you don't know what a Dynamo is, it's a unstoppable force of energy. It's, it's always going, it's perpetual. Houston is the energy capital of the United States. And you did nothing with that. You actively <laughs> avoided it. You just put two letters on a baseball cap and said, here, you didn't even add a shield to it. You just did a <laughs> dumb thing. I don't understand. Yeah. That being said, uh, I don't hate everything about the revamp. I do like the idea with the, with the bandanas here because essentially get rid of the, the scarves. Now you're, now you're a cowboy. Now you have a bandana. That's pretty cool. I like that. You know, I think that's cool. I actually like that too. And one thing I'm going to talk about LAFC again, I'm going to talk about LAFC a lot, but I think LAFC did the whole hat thing very well. That was their, their like piece of whatever. Right. And we're so used to these things, but that fits like Houston. You think of like Texas and, and you think of like the wild West whole thing. I love that. I think that's brilliant. I think that's such a cool thing. Um, but for me, the, the rebrand was just like, I kind of looked at it and was like, what? Like this, this, um, I actually think, ironically a little bit and to kind of play devil's advocate i think it's going to look okay on a jersey i think it's going to look good on a kit uh because it's going to be seamless and it's not going to like overwhelm anything um but i was definitely like i was definitely not in love with it i was just <laughs> what's the temperament overall with with houston fans in general with, with how they've received it what, what, what do you think uh it got some really mixed things i think the overall though it was you know it's pretty negative people already feeling you know upset with the club and as after the performances after you know the if you ask a down disorder how they're doing it's never all right at this point we're all <laughs> and i think with the rebrand they were like you know now we're houston dynamo fc perfect nobody's going to use that fc part we're all just going to continue to call you the dynamo it's kind of pointless like why why would you do that yeah. nobody really seemed to because everybody's kind of main reaction was you can put the skyline in the badge you can make it that stupid thing it couldn't be a fox like you're not gonna harp <laughs> on anything it's just gonna be two letters i think it was really it was really underwhelming because how bad the season was it's expanded playoffs and we not only didn't make it we were the worst team in the league so now you yeah. now you're kind of like i think because you said it was kind of quiet the rebrand was coming uh for dynamo i think it was you know on they tried to keep it as quiet as possible but in houston all of us or you know diehard fans knew it was coming and we, you know, some of the diehard fans found the the file for the patent, like the, this is our copyright, this is what the new logo is going to look like. So we all got like a kind of a preview before it came out. Oh, and then we were like, wow. wow, that's terrible. It's two letters, sick. So then you kind of, now you're, they, they're, they're hyping it up, you know, get ready for new Houston soccer. <laughs> oh my gosh, everybody's getting a rebrand. The Dash, the Dino, it's going to be amazing. Boom, there you go. It's a total of three letters. Right. It, I think it was just, <laughs> it was so underwhelming. It was something that we, yeah. especially at this point, you know, with the Dino being as bad as they are right now, you, you only have the attention of diehard fans. You only have the, the, you know, the most diehard fans paying attention to you at this point. You're last in the league. Nobody cares about you and you're going to repay them with nothing. You're just going to tell them we, you know, you're just going to tell them, you Houston Dynamo FC, write that down. You're not getting any more scars. You're getting a bandana. <laughs> write that down. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a weird direction, and and like like we keep touching on, 
you know, at the very least, let's say they do a rebrand and it's a good one and they've engaged the fans, they've engaged some supporters in some way and they, or they tie it to the city in some way, some way that, something that gives you like pride. One right. of the cool things about Puma, this Puma, for example, this year, their kits, there's a, the Man City kit is one of the best kits uh, I've ever seen. They have uh, architecture that's literally uh, on their jersey that you can see in the canals in Manchester. Direct, actual, real ties to the city. They're the Milan jerseys. When you look up at, uh, there's a very famous uh, outdoor mall or famous uh, mall in, in Milan. And the, the, uh, the stained glass windows that are in that mall, the same uh, imprint or the same design is on their jerseys. So there's a real tie to the city, a powerful connection like that ties you to the city. It makes you proud to wear that jersey. Um, I, I don't understand why that is difficult to execute or why that's so avant-garde. It's not even like it's, it shouldn't be that crazy. You know, yeah, I, mean, it's, I don't, it's, it's simple. <laughs> especially something that's going to live on the jersey for a long time, you know, right. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. This is your cool. only, you know, this is the only thing you have above big clubs and you're like, we're going to make this as minimal as possible. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah. People aren't even going to recognize what it is when they look at it. They're going to be so confused that you're walking around with a fake San Francisco Giants hat that has the wrong letters. <laughs> I love that you said that. Um, cool. Now we're going to switch directions. Uh, we're going to dabble a little bit on some big European things that have happened. Uh, there's a big one that's that's kind of been happening over unraveling. It's been probably the biggest drama in all of European soccer over the past year or so uh the messy saga and the messy situation is is messy it's 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 a mess uh at barcelona probably the worst barcelona has been over the past 10 to 15 years um messi did something really weird that he's never done in, in the spanish super cup uh i'm a real madrid fan and i've seen him play i've seen him play uh in the flesh also so that's uh it's, it's interesting to see what's <laughs> it's interesting to see what has happened there. Um, so to those that don't know, he got a red card in the closing minutes of the Spanish Super Cup final. Bill Bow went on to win the Super Cup final, which I was super stoked on. Shout out Iñaki Williams, who's an absolute baller. Um, and then Messi just kind of seemed like indifferent about it afterwards, <laughs> which is wild to me. Uh, what are your thoughts on Barcelona in general? And what do you think about the situation? Because it's a very... It feels like a child that's that's like on uh, like being punished type of situation, you know? Yeah. So obviously, my brother made sure to let me know all of the new messy updates as they were coming in last last summer. That was a that was a fun thing as my nightmares almost became a reality until Bartomeu <laughs> decided to hold Messi hostage and refuse uh, to to deal him. I just uh, even though he was. I think Messi was in the right. I think Messi probably could have left for free, but he chose not to. So for me, seeing the people on Twitter who are upset, you know, with Messi and, you know, they're just, what more does Messi owe you? He's given his life yeah. to the club. He's done everything for you. He stuck his neck out to try to get you paid before he left. So he wouldn't leave for free and you chose not to. So it blew, it blew my mind because I don't know what else Messi could have possibly done for those Barcelona fans, but they just chose no man a club because uh, that's the thing a club over a player is fine but not not when it comes to Messi. not when it comes yeah. to somebody like that who's given everything to the club and in terms of you know what barcelona have been doing they're like the galaxy of 
of Spanish football at this point. They're just buying random players. But the yeah. problem with what they're doing is they're overpaying quite a bit. Coutinho, Griezmann, all these players are good players, not for the price that you got. And they regress so heavily that you're in a situation where this the club is going to need to rebuild for years. This isn't going to be a quick fix. You're in so much debt. You're in so much. You have so many big contracts that aren't performing. You, you know, you're just financially, you've made so many poor decisions that you're at a point where you need to hit a reset and selling. Well, this well, they, that's the, the crazy thing is they had the opportunity to reset. They could exactly. have got a hundred and something 50 million for Messi. Right. Messi provided they, you that light. Messi was drowning. He threw you the his yeah. lifesaver and you still just chose to drown with him. Like, no, I don't, I don't understand it. it. You, <laughs> very, very confusing. And now you have a situation where it's almost like, it's like two, two like people being petty. And it's weird because what's going to end up happening. I mean, not necessarily Messi because Messi can just go to PSG or go wherever next season. He's completely fine. But he actually loves Barcelona. He loves the club. It's obvious. I don't think he wants this. But now it's like, well, you guys have put me into this corner. I, like, almost like I don't care anymore. He's being very blasé. His, his level is, is dropped off. He's still messy, of course. But I just don't think he cares as much as he used to. And Barcelona is doing this weird hostage situation where, like you said, they had the out. They could have, they could have, re- they didn't have, almost didn't have to rebuild. They could have right. went out and bought Mbappe and whomever right away. But they didn't do that. And yeah. now it's he's going to leave for free. You know, he's going to leave for free now. And what do you have? What Now what do you have? Right. You no longer have that golden generation. There's no Xavi. There's no Iniesta, or Iniesta. Busquets is non-existent. What do you have now? What do you have? You have a couple of good young talents, but none of them really, like, mesh. And that's what made Barcelona dominant was that they were so – they meshed so well. They were on such a – high like level of understanding of, of each other's play that they could beat any team on the planet and made high level teams look silly like quite often. And now it's just so weird to see this, this whole thing, you know, it's such a weird turnaround. No. To answer the question, what do they have? They have Serginho test, but yeah, apart from that, not, not great looking. So I think, I just think, you know, in terms of where Messi's head at, heads at he's just kind of be like what more do i need to give you i've given you everything for you know for a huge amount of time and he's watched players eto iniesta puyo like chavi like all these players leave some of them not on good terms so he's kind of got to be under the situation of like there's there's no point you're not i see that you're and this i think this is such a bad look for barcelona because if you're willing to treat messi like you're treating him right now how are you going to treat somebody who's not as good? You're just, <laughs> yeah. it has to be such a, it has to be That's such terrifying. a, yeah. yeah, exactly. Why would I ever want to sign with you? If you're going to treat Messi the way you did, he's given you everything and you're just, and it, the fans who turn on Messi, really? Like, seriously, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't understand it. I'm glad he hasn't gone to city yet. Uh, I'm <laughs> that, Cross uh, those fingers, man. <laughs> but Cross I mean, I just don't understand. Cause even in January, you had the out. You had the out in January. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot going on with the pres- with the new Barcelona presidential election. There's, mm-hmm. I, but I don't, I don't think Messi appreciated what those guys were saying either because they're saying Messi's free to make his choice, but I think he's going to stay. They're kind now. He, you now you're talking to somebody you've never met, and you're saying I know he's going to stay. It's almost exactly like the Bartomeu situation where you're, 
well, you don't really know what I'm thinking, but you're just going to sit there and try to make me the bad guy. I think that was the biggest thing is Messi didn't want to be the bad guy. He didn't want to hurt anybody on his way out. And to be honest, he probably wouldn't have if he had just gotten his out. But instead, Bartomeu forced him into a situation of you're going to have to be that guy. You're going to have to drag us kicking and screaming to court. And then even yep. though when you win, we're still going to make you be the bad guy. Yeah, it was like a weird, like petty divorce that was happening. I don't know. It was so weird. It was so weird to, to, to do that. You're holding this guy who's been your your guardian angel, your like brand ambassador, your guy, your legend. You're holding him hostage. And it's just such a weird situation for a club like Barcelona that it was seen as like the top of the top of the food chain, the masculine club and all that stuff. And it's kind of just it's pretty ugly. It's a weird, ugly situation. Um, I'm a Real Madrid fan, so I'm enjoying it a little bit too much. I don't get to enjoy it as much as I want because Madrid is a nightmare right now. We just uh, got knocked out of the Copa del Rey. But uh, interesting to see how it's going to happen uh, next season, where Messi goes. There's a lot of talks about MLS. There's a lot of talks about PSG or or Man City. I think he goes to one of those two clubs, but we'll oh, see yeah. what happens. MLS is nowhere near uh, yet. MLS is when he's going to come out and he's going to need a cane. And, but he'll he'll run around. He'll do it. <laughs> and he's still gonna he's still gonna like yeah destroy like defenses like nothing. But um, moving along to something that's gonna be closer to our hearts, Americans abroad. There's two that had a really good week, and there's an interesting thing that I think we need to talk about overall. First of all, Matt Hop at Shell, he is going Matthew Hoppy. I apologize, Matthew Hoppy. So he is going crazy right now for Shock, and seemingly out of nowhere, right? I haven't heard of it. I, I barely learned how to pronounce his name right now, right? Um, why are so many Americans, why do you think so many Americans are doing well over the past year to two years? Guys like Gio Reyna are absolute ballers now, doing very, very well. Obviously, we had Pulisic doing, doing bits and doing crazy things of, um, for a while now, but now it's becoming far more widespread. What do you think it is? Uh, I think there's, you know, kind of a lot of different things, but I think the main one is the Bundesliga's willingness to give them a chance. I think you can even see that with Aaron Holland. They go to Norway, grab some random kid. Now he's arguably one of the greatest goal scorers on the planet at the moment. Because he's a monster. Yeah. Right. The Bundesliga giving them the chance, not, you know, I, there was a story about Barcelona passing on Charlie Davies, or not Charlie Davies, Alfonso Davies, because they didn't, you know, he was, he's playing in the MLS. They don't really, they don't want to go pick him up. They, there was a, that story leads to, well, big clubs didn't want to trust MLS or trust Americans, but with the Bundesliga giving everybody that shot, they are now producing the talent that we know that Americans have. Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan weren't unicorns, but they were very good and they just needed the chance and they took it in Clint Dempsey, especially so with the Bundesliga now willing to give more players and younger players at that the chance, I mean, you're seeing it now blossom. Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Weston McKinney, Hope, like all these players going to the Bundesliga. There's, there's a bunch more in the Bundesliga that we haven't even talked about, but they're all in the Bundesliga. Tyler Adams, they're all making headway where the, normally those doors are blocked. The Bundesliga opened that door for them, and now they're, now they're reaping the benefits for the most part, except for Pulisic and McKinney. <laughs> you know, I think, I think when you mentioned Landon Donovan and you mentioned Dempsey, Donovan, for people that, that uh, maybe forget, he was playing at Leverkusen. That was, he was one of the first guys to make that jump, and to, he had a lot of um, promise. But 
I think one thing that people forget was the lack of playing time and what that does to a player's confidence. And these players, these young players, you start to realize that a lot of like high level talent, at, you know, at that level, they're all very good and they all can do a lot of things similarly. Some are like, like Holland is, a, is like a super talent, right? There's those guys that kind of pop out above, you know, they kind of go ahead of uh, head and shoulders above the rest. There's, they're very unique and they're very special talents. But in general, you, you understand that these guys are playing on these teams. They're all going to be like fairly good. What matters and what you're starting to see, I think, is especially when you see guys like McKinney and Gio Reyna in press conferences and you hear the way they speak and the way they handle themselves, the level of confidence these people have, these, these guys have. Tyler Adams is another one, very well-spoken, incredible confidence. And you see what confidence does to a young player. You know, Gio Reyna having seems like he has full creative reign at Dortmund and he is thriving. He's doing well. He has an amazing partnership with Holland. Then you see Wesley McKinney. That was a move that I was a little bit worried about when he was going to Juventus and he has been embraced. I see the way he interacts with Ronaldo. I see the way he interacts with a lot of the other players and he's completely self-confident feels he, he doesn't feel like overwhelmed by the, by, by the, uh, by the level of, of the club or, 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 the, or the team. He just won this, the Italian Super Cup, which is incredible. Um, and it just makes me smile because for the first time in a long time, the U.S. men's national team is really exciting. Not exciting on like a CONCACAF level, exciting on like a big level, on a, on a big level that I, I, I didn't think we would get there this quick after, yeah. after what happened. After what happened. Uh, so it's interesting to see what confidence does, in my opinion, you know, when I first saw Pulisic, I saw him in, in when he was playing for Dortmund. I went to a Champions League game uh, and they were playing Madrid in the Champions League. And I got to see him in. He was the best player on the pitch. He was going bananas, going straight at Sergio Ramos. He had Sergio Ramos like left and right. He had, you know, uh, Theo, who was this guy that, that was playing for plays for Milan now. Theo couldn't control him. You know, and it was just inc- like crazy to me that this American kid just had the confidence and the wherewithal to I don't care that I'm playing Madrid in the Champions League at the Bernabeu, the bright lights, all that. He didn't care. He was just going at it. And I was like, man, if more players could have that confidence and now we're seeing it, right? Now I think that's what's happening overall. And I think it's, it really is a Bundesliga thing, right? It really is a Bundesliga thing to, to go to your point. All these guys are getting that, that sort of that exposure and it's, it's coming up at, a, at just such an amazing rate, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you want to talk about as far as U.S. men's national team players? Anyone else that you've uh, maybe that isn't on the, anyone's radar or anything special that, that you want to talk about before we, we get out of here? No. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Well, I will, I, I will, I will say this. I, I'm really glad that they, you know, took the U.S. men's national team, it being a very young team, they still took the time to to focus on racial inequality off the field. They wore those jackets. I thought that was a very, you know, mature and strong move to show the United front and to, to go out of the way, knowing that, you know, they've got their whole careers ahead of them. They had no fear. They were saying, this is what we know is right. And we're willing to, you know, put it all on the line for it. And I, I don't think that can be appreciated enough. I agree a thousand percent. And there's, if there's one thing I can say about, to kind of compare to what happened prior to the World Cup and us not making the World Cup is I felt for the first time at that moment, I was like, this is weird seeing the U.S. men's national team not 
have a identity of like, we're gonna fight and we're gonna have uh, a strong identity. And to see what's happening now, obviously the level is, is, is rising, it's getting much better, but the level of identity and the level of something like that, where to me that galvanizes me as a supporter. Right. And then it, 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 it shows that we're going in the right direction on the pitch and off the pitch, which is what you wanna see entirely. So really good way to end that. I love that you, you mentioned that. Um, well, thank you, man. It's been a, it's been a pleasure talking. Um, we're going to get uh, another episode going next week. We've got a couple of uh, things that we got to work on after this, but I thought it was a great first episode. Uh, really good points made. I loved, uh, I loved what we covered. Thank you very much. Have a good one. We'll see you in a week. Okay, brother. Yep. Thank you. All right, man. Take care.